Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. The best way to support the show is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or ratings on iTunes, please do. It helps more people find our show. And if you want to be on it, please shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant, and today we are pulling back the curtains on all human secrets. You know, those, those little things people hide deep inside them and they won't tell anyone or anybody else for that matter. Those things we keep hidden that just, ugh, you know, you know, the how, what, when, where, why of it all. So today's guest is my good friend, Paul. Now, Paul, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. What is your secret? Dun, dun, dun. I'm a Russian spy. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it's, 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 it's not anything that I've never told anybody, but it's something that I buried for a long time, even to myself for I'm 57 and I buried it for 40 something years. And it, it would be that uh, I am a survivor of uh, incest by my mother, not super overt mm-hmm. incest, but a lot of emotional incest kind of spousifying me and some definitely some, a lot of physical uh, boundaries crossed and stuff around the body and yeah, stuff that is really gross. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you and I have discussed emotional incest. I don't think people put a name to it. It's that feeling where, you know, your parents, it's too much energy is given to you or they do treat you like their spouse and you become their support system. It could be as simple and small as that. And, you know, bigger the, you know, sexualizing your child a little bit in Mm -hmm. a way that just doesn't feel right. So let's go back. When do you remember the first time you just had that feeling as a young boy? When she was, I was eight years old and she was taking my temperature rectally. And I, her kind of demeanor would kind of change. She would get very quiet. And, and I remember thinking, is something going on? Something about this doesn't feel right. Why I seem to be too old for this to still be happening. And, and I remember just pushing it out of my mind and saying that my mom would never do anything like that. Um, and it and it really stayed buried for a a long time um, until I really looked at the pattern of my relationship with her, her treating me like her therapist when I was seven years old. Um, like what would she say? She would break down and cry about how much she disliked being a mom and her marriage. And I would say, you know, we're going to try to do better, you know. Um, and so from a very early age, I felt the pressure to be what my dad couldn't be. My dad was an untreated alcoholic, not a dramatic alcoholic, uh, closet drinker, high, high functioning. High functioning. Of, yeah. He, he was an insurance executive. Um, 
kind of Don Draper, but in, in the insurance uh, industry, not, not in terms of the womanizing, but in terms of the big office, you know, with the great view and a bar in his office and stuff like that. And my dad was just very withdrawn, uh, especially as his alcoholism progressed. Um, so I just always, I never questioned that her needs were put before mine. And that doesn't mean that there weren't good things about my mom and I didn't get good things out of my relationship with her. It was just a very, very complicated mixed bag. And, and she was a very emotionally mercurial person uh, who had kind of no edit button. And, um, you know, for instance, th this thing popped into my mind. I, I was playing cards with some friends of mine and we were, we were talking about our, because it was Father's Day, we were talking about our relationships with our dads. And, you know, it started off with, yeah, my dad died when I was two. And another guy was like, my dad died when I was 13. And I thought, oh my God, you know, that's so much worse than anything I had. And I would remembered, oh yeah, my dad tried to kill himself and we had to check him into a rehab on Christmas Eve. I was like, you know, that... <laughs> Did you probably. forget about that or, or and it just popped in your head or you just finally connected that? Um, it, it, it wasn't something that I had buried. I just thought because my dad didn't die, it couldn't be that bad. But, it, you know, and, and my mom years later, and this is kind of an example of my mom's personality is she said, for some reason, we were recounting what my dad did and and my mom, like in a mocking tone, was derisive about the fact that his cuts on his wrists weren't really that deep. Wow. And I just remember just like, just not having words. How not old were you during that? Oh, oh, this, when he tried to kill himself, I was in my 20s. Mm. Yeah. And I wasn't surprised because there was always a sadness in my dad, a, he was always checked out, always someplace else. Um, yeah, so it, it didn't surprise me. But yeah, that's the kind of the way my mom could turn. She could get really mean on a dime. And I know that's something that you and I share, that your mom could be very, very cold. Oh, yeah. I, but when I, when I, you know, gone through the therapy and worked with support groups and all that stuff, it's like, I then saw that her mom was really cold and it was yeah. then, you know, abuse and alcoholism ran in my, our, my family, like rampant. So. And, and my mom had it. This isn't to excuse what she did. My mom had a terrible childhood. Her father left when she was like three. Her mother was very cold. I wouldn't say a mean person, but very, very uh, just emotionally with withdrawn and left her to be raised by friends of the family while she went to New York and worked. And she was left in an alcoholic family where I also think there was, uh, uh, sexual abuse by a sibling. I, you know, I could be wrong, but a lot of, lot of stuff. And, you know, one, and one of the things that I like to, to always say too, when I talk about being a survivor is that, for a while, uh, and, and you know this about me, I was a womanizer, I was a cheater, I objectified women, I pushed boundaries, I did a lot of stuff that I'm ashamed of. Ditto, ditto, yeah. you know that. <laughs> yeah, and I have tremendous regret about that. And um, I'd like to think that I'm not that person any 
anymore. I've, I've done a lot of work and especially in the support group that you and I go to because I don't, I don't want to be that person. I, I, I wanted my, my, I just had a sense that my heart was closed off, even though I've been sober for about seven years when I came to the support group, you and I know each other from, there was just a feeling that I was going to live the rest of my life without really being able to open my heart and experience true intimacy. Because for me, uh, emotion and sex were always separate for me. Agree. Yes. That's what I said. Sex was about control. Yeah, that's with sex is about power and control. It is not about intimacy. Right. And what I felt too. Yes. And uh, after years of being in our support group and a lot of two steps forward, one step back, uh, I do feel like I'm at the place now where I, I can have that. I have a great relationship with my girlfriend and it, it's, I'm not afraid to be present. I don't have a fear of, um, you know, somebody overwhelming me. It, it's, I don't have the desire to run. I really truly love our relationship and I feel comfortable in it and it feels safe and she feels safe with me. So when going back though, throughout the years, did you always, I always say like emotional incest is like a form of rape mm-hmm. from your loved ones. They are like taking you of your energy. It doesn't have to be all, you know, did you- innocence. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because yeah. you're playing a role you're not meant to play at that age. Right. So you, do you think that emotional intimacy or um, emotional incest really affected your relationships throughout the years? Oh my God. Totally. Totally. Um, it, I just wouldn't let people get super close. Uh, you know, another thing that, that, that I experienced that brought me tremendous shame was and I think I've shared this in our support group, but uh, I was about 12, I think. And I f- fell down and got a bunch of gravel in my knee. And my mom said, well, let's get you in the bathtub. And I remember thinking, I'm too old yeah. for this. And I thought, well, I'll wear a bathing suit. And then I imagine what my mom would say, like whenever I would want to cover up or not want to be you know, naked in front of her or in my underwear, she would, she would go, nothing I've never seen. I saw your thing before you ever did. And, and I, so then I kind of imagined, you know, that that was going to be the response I would get. So I didn't wear a bathing suit. And as I was sitting in the bathtub waiting for her to come in, I became aroused and I was mortified. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And for I think that was probably one of the most seminal moments in my life because I felt like a monster. I felt right. like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And years later, when I talked to a therapist, they were like, you were responding to a sexualized energy. And that is, it was your body. It was, it was not something you didn't desire to have a sexual interaction with your mom. That was just how your body and your brain were coping. And I, I finally was able to let go of the, the shame um, after I got into our, our support group. But it, it was really pushed down and it pervaded everything. I just felt like, I remember feeling like a pervert from like age six. Because yeah. I was, sex was always on my mind. 
I mean, me too. And I just have to say, you know, when I talk to people that have survived, you know, rape and all that, and then when they thought about what happened, they would get turned on and they could never connect. Like you were molested. Why am I having this reaction? And it's a physical reaction and, and your brain can't, you know, compute it. Right. Your adrenaline starts, you know, firing and, it's, it's very, it's very disconcerting. It's very disconcerting. And there's a great book by uh, a guy called Jack Morin. Uh, and I believe he's a psychologist and he, uh, the name of the book is the erotic mind. And he talks about how common that is that, that in, in terms of what turns us on, it's very often the very thing that we dislike the most in real life or, or something that we have historical shame or anxiety about. And uh, I just want to say to anybody out there, we don't choose what it is that turns us on. It, it, it's what we do with it that, yeah. that matters, you know? And a lot of times you could role play with a consenting partner. It can be very, very freeing to, or to just, you know, say, you know, here's, here's some things I think about sometimes that, that help me, you know, reach orgasm. And having that part of you accepted can really, really add to intimacy in a relationship. Definitely. It's, I, that's what I think like a true connection is, knowing yeah. those those specific things. But you were also talking, there's a book, I think you and I read it, and I wish I looked it up, but it, it is about emotional incest. And I remember reading it. I'll tag it in uh, below this episode. But It's called uh, Silently Seduced by uh, Kenneth Adams. Yes. When I read that, I read it, you know, years before I had my child. And I just remembering every parent needs to read this book. Absolutely. Just because they can, you know, when you have, I know now when I have a child, there's this love that I've never felt before. And there can be times if I wasn't healthy where I would try to use my child to fill me, you know, like if mommy's having a bad day, mommy needs a hug, give me a hug. And it's like my child, that is not his responsibility to hug mom when she's having a bad day. So that book particularly helped me become a better mother you know, and not carry on the things that our parents have done to us, that their parents did to them and so on and so on. Right. Yeah. I don't believe our parents ever wanted to hurt us. It's, they just, they didn't have the tools to cope with their trauma. Exactly. So holding this secret, holding this deep secret that you didn't even realize you were holding for yourself. You know, I don't think the seven deadly sins, for some reason, I don't think they're bad. I don't have that religious attachment to them. I think Mm -hmm. they're human nature. So pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, sloth. I don't know if any of these go with this deep, dark secret, but have you thought about it? Do you? Definitely anger um, because uh, I didn't realize how much anger I had at at women for a long time. Mm. And it wasn't like rage, like, oh, I want to hurt them. But it was more like, um, you're, why would I want to have any interaction with you if I wasn't going to get sex from you, which is a really hostile, awful way to look at half the, half the population. Um, I would kind of become a, a person that I didn't like, you know, I would, 
try to make myself appear a certain way to increase my chance of getting laid, say what I think they wanted to hear, never call them the next day, you know, a lot of stuff. So, you know, whatever stuff you want to apply to, to that would, would count. Yeah. Cause her people, her people hurt people, like we yeah. say, you know, yeah. and, and that's, and it, you were hurt. And it doesn't excuse what I did, but now that I know better, I have the responsibility to, to not be that guy. And, and as I've healed, the desire to be that guy has pretty much gone away. Every once in a while, you know, I'll drive by a massage parlor and I'll think, oh yeah, you know, I'll have, you know, romanticize the idea of, you know, getting a, a, you know, a happy ending or whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy in my relationship with my girlfriend. So I, that, that's not something that I, I want, I, I look at it differently. It's, I think when, when we come in and we're wounded, we think that the crumbs that we're, we're getting emotionally in our life are a feast because maybe they're, they're exciting because maybe there's danger or, or shame secrets involved. or dirtiness. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but once we experience, once I experienced intimacy, I viewed those things very differently and, and I could see the emptiness in them and the objectification of the other person. But it didn't happen right away with your girlfriend. Didn't you experience intimacy first with like a, a you know, a friend, a guy friend, or yes. like me, we're really good friends. Like yeah. you started trusting the mm -hmm. opposite sex and developing. Can you talk a little yes. bit of that? Because it, it happens gradually. It does happen very gradually. Uh, and it first happened with men uh, in my uh, other support group around drugs and alcohol. But I found myself, you know, when I had stopped the first seven years of being sober, I had stopped, you know, any of my sexual acting out. And then the urge to do it started coming up again and it, and it scared me. And somebody said, Hey, have you heard about this support group for stuff like that? And so I started going there, but I thought if the women in there really knew my history, they would want nothing to do with me. And when I did finally share my story one time, I felt so much regret, uh, afterwards at, at dinner, the, the group of us were at dinner and I was just silently kind of staring into space. And one of the women said, what are you thinking about? And I said, I was just regretting how much I shared. And she said, why? I said, because, uh, you know, it's it, what, what woman is going to want to be my friend. And she said, Paul, can't you see that you did those things because of what happened to you? That's not who you are. And I broke down and I started crying. And that I, know, was, I actually want to start crying right now. <laughs> that was the beginning of opening my heart because I felt like, no, there's this last thing that I can't reveal because that will make me unlovable. And um, that was a turning point in, in my recovery. Ugh. I mean, that if that doesn't give anyone hope that they're not alone or they can get help or they can change, I don't know what. Yeah. Because and you <laughs> have been uh, such a big support for me um there there were times this is for the listener during our support group when i was processing you know, the the worst of this stuff combined with the shame of how i turned around and objectified um and hurt women 
I would break down in the meeting and have to go outside to cry. And you came out one time and I, and I just was crying on your shoulder and you just sat there and you just hugged me and loved me and didn't judge me. And that was incredibly, incredibly healing. And um, I can't thank you enough for, for that. And for me too. I mean, I haven't had that experience with a guy. It was always about using guys or getting them to fill me or what I needed. And, you know, you were one of the first guy friends where it we there was boundaries, there was respect, there was healing involved, there was honesty, there was transparency. And I think that's what we need in this world. I think that's what we're missing in our society is like we're all wounded and we have to have empathy and, you know, non-judgment, you know? Yeah, because it doesn't mean we approve of something that somebody did. It's saying, I I am here for you in, in your commitment to heal and become the person you want to be. Exactly. Uh, You know, in today's cancel culture, while a lot of it may be justified and that person needs repercussions for what they did, there's a tendency to write them off as a human being and to not want to take an interest in whether or not they're invested in trying to become a different person. Obviously, it's very complicated because you're not going to go to their support group meeting with them. But when you hear somebody talk a lot of times, you know, you can get a sense that they are really owning their shit and that they are trying to be a better person. I mean, I can agree and disagree because some I feel are, and I can feel it. And other times are are psychopaths that I think are are beyond. We've talked about that. Like, right especially in politics, but we're not going to get into that. But like some are just crazy and they don't take responsibility for the action. But I also feel like, and you and I've discussed this, everybody has their own God and their journey. So if they were meant to get called out, that's their path and, and doing right instead of wrong, you know? Yes. But so keeping this secret from yourself, who do you think benefited from it? Who harmed from this secret? Who benefited from me keeping it secret? Uh, me. Yeah. I, I think probably my mom because she was able to keep getting what she needed from me until I cut contact with her about, uh, I don't know, eight years ago. And it wasn't because of what she did. It's because she refuses or is incapable of respecting the boundaries I ask her to respect today. Um, and she's just not a, a, an emotionally safe person. Uh, and it's, it's not, um, it's just not a healthy choice for me. Which I, I'm very proud of you. Everybody thinks we should let family get away with anything because they're family, they're blood. And we know as you know, on the other side of it, you have to have boundaries. And if people in your life don't respect your boundaries or don't take, my thing is if you, they don't take acknowledgement of what they've done. Right. There's something about somebody sitting down and saying, I'm sorry, I didn't know any better. I apologize. Where it just like, there's room now to actually move forward in a different way. Right. Because we all want to be seen. We all want respect. We all want to feel safe navigating this world. We all want to be loved. Uh, and 
it's not that much to ask, but some people are so wounded. Their idea of love is smothering someone or enmeshing. And it's, it's, uh, it, it had never occurred to me that attention from a parent in and of itself isn't necessarily a good thing. It's what kind of attention is it? Is it a draining, overwhelming, boundaryless, energy sucking energy? Or is it a, I'm rooting for you. I see who you are. I'm guiding you. Um, I'll let you fail. I will try to fail. fix it. Right. Um, I'll, I'll model uh, humility and apologizing when I'm wrong. Uh, so there's a big, there's a big difference there. And it's been probably the most difficult thing that, that I ever did in my life was to, to, cut off my relationship with my mom. It, it hurt my heart for years. It would make my stomach drop when I would even think about it. Um, but I, I, it, it doesn't, it makes me sad when I think about it, but it doesn't debilitate me anymore. Oh. So how do we, how do you move forward now with this information and this work you've done on yourself? How are, how are you moving forward? I, I just uh, keep, trying to, to do this stuff that got me here, go to my meetings, uh, try to help other people, try to uh, live a principled life, apologize when I'm wrong. Um, when, I, when I screw up, not uh, hate myself, but say, what can I learn from this? You know, is there is is there some type of lesson I, I can learn? Some type of you know warning sign? Um, those those are the important things. Is to recognize my wrongs when I commit a wrong, apologize to somebody, learn from it, and then move on with my life. Because if I'm just sitting and obsessing uh, about a mistake I made, it's it's not going to be of help to anybody because I'm not present yeah. and I'm just self-obsessed, which is really kind of the other side of the coin of grandiosity. You know, none of us are the worst piece of shit or the greatest. We're all somewhere in between. So it's just give it your best effort, open your mind, read, you know, ask for help. Uh, somebody was saying in one of my support group meetings last night, the most powerful phrase I've ever learned is, I don't know. Mm. I used to I be scared agree. to say that. Oh I used to God. be scared to say that so much. I don't know. And it, it, it was <laughs> never uttered in my house. Never uttered in my house. And uh, it's very freeing to say it because I don't have to take care of everybody. I don't have to protect my ego. Um and, and it allows me to explore and open my mind and listen to what somebody else might have to say. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. I love you. I respect you. I adore you so much. And I really, really am grateful to I have you because just you talking now is it gives me the ability to say to my son when he asks me, I don't know. And that's okay. Like, I don't have to know. Yeah. So Thank awesome. you. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, thank you for listening. This is Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. If you have a secret past or present and want to share it with me, please message me below or email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thank you. 
Thank you again for listening to Secret Life Podcast. Please subscribe, share, send me a note, and you can always support the show with a donation on our site, secretlifepodcast.com. Until next time, bye.